This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, and verses 23 through 29. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is God's word. God. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Damien. Good morning. For me, last week was a watershed sermon for my life. The reason it was such an important sermon for me is because, oddly, um, being a Christian 25, 30 years, I've, I've never really thought of myself as a righteous failure. So if you missed that sermon, you can go back and, and catch that. We'll touch base on it today as well. But I've never really looked at myself in that way before. I've seen myself as righteous, often self-righteous, and I've seen myself often as a failure, but never seen that God in his love towards me sees me as both righteous and a failure, that I'm a righteous failure. Now, in that sermon, Damien kind of, told us that that sermon would be delineated by prepositions. Well, the sermon today is going to be delineated 
by conjunctions. And if you remember Schoolhouse Rock, if you were that age, all right, we know that conjunction, junction, what's your function? It's hooking up nouns and words and phrases or clauses. And that's exactly what we're going to look at today. And what's the chief conjunction of them all? It's the word and. The word and. So when we look at this, we think about this, we say, okay, well then how are you saved? This is what Paul is asking in this long text. How then are you saved? How are you sanctified? Is it because of Jesus? Or is it because of Jesus and? In this case, Jesus and the Moses law. Okay? So our uh, sermon today really focuses on that word and. Now the Protestant Reformation, it's centered around just one word as well. Does anybody know what that word was? Sola, alone. So we're saved according to scripture alone, by faith alone, with grace alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Those are the prepositions. To, by, with, for. But sola, alone, it means that it has no conjunction that goes with it. So Paul is addressing this very point in this sermon passage this morning for us. How are we saved by God? How are we kept and sanctified by God? Is it by faith alone, through Christ alone? Or is it by Christ and Moses are we saved by the faithfulness of Christ and by keeping the law? Or by faith alone, with grace alone, through Christ alone? You see, the Judaizers, that's a tough word for me, they'd come into the Galatian congregation and they'd convinced everyone that there was more you had to do, much more that you had to do if you were going to be really pleasing to God. Now, is that how you live your gospel life? Honestly? Unfortunately, it's how I live my gospel life so much. That's why that sermon last week was so good for my heart. The Galatians, the book of Galatians, it centers around the gospel, the good news, as the one, the sola message. Paul wrote Galatians to a group of uh, what we would call Gauls, Galatia, that's where it comes from, Charles de Gaulle Airport in France. So he writes this to these Galatians who centuries before they had migrated down to Asia Minor, what we would call modern Turkey today. And so as they show up there, their, their, their background, their ethnic background was the Celts, tall, blonde, blue-eyed people, Celtic people. All right? So because of that, that, their historical ethnic worship was Druidism, Anonism, worshiping created things that were around them. Everybody understand that? So their history had a lot of gods as part of it. Now because of that, when the Judaizers came in, it became very easy for them to convince them that Jesus was not enough, that you needed Jesus and something else. Everybody with me? So Paul writes this letter of Galatians 
to these ones that he previously preached the gospel to, and he told them, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to perfect ourselves once we're saved, to earn God's love in any way apart from that completed work in Christ. They understood it. They embraced it. Paul appointed leaders with Barnabas, and then he left. And then that's when the devil went to work. The devil sent in his workers, those Judaizers, to throw them off course by adding conjunctions. And, but, if. If, you Galatian Gentiles, really want to be saved, you need Jesus and Moses. The Judaizers came in saying, Jesus, he was great. Man, his works, they were awesome. But there's a little more you have to do. There's a little more you have to be if you're going to be right with God. You have to get circumcised. You have to uh, keep the Old Testament law. You need to follow those dietary laws and rules. It's all there for you. Christ alone, he's not enough. So, is that the way you think sometimes too? Unfortunately, it's the way I do too often. Well, Paul hears about this, and he actually gets angry. Paul, who's always talking about his beloved brethren and how much he loves them and cares for them. Well, in this passage, he loves them and cares them enough for them enough to actually be angry at them. So take a listen, if you would, on verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Now, you know when you write an email or a text and you go back and you read back through it and you say, you know, I need to soften this just a little bit. You know, so you change a word here or there, but what's the king of softening in a text? What can I do so you know that my intent is not harsh? I can put in an, an emoji, an emoticon, really tone it down. Now, guys, I love my job because that's what I do. I train adults to do that, to soften things, and, you know, it's better to, you know, help people by listening to them and those types of things. So what happens here? is that this week, I went and I looked in the Greek text, and you know what? There's not one emoji in here. And if you don't believe me, you can come up here and look at it after the sermon today. There's no emoji in this text. Paul is taking off the gloves because this is a serious thing, and he's letting them know this needs to be dealt with. So, this is a super serious threat, and so Paul has to do something about it. He's writing sort of like this. What the bleep is matter with you people? What the heck? I spent so much time with you people. We went over the gospel so many times. The Holy Spirit worked so awesomely among us. The gospel gripped your heart so tightly. It was like you saw Christ crucified with your own eyes. God took my mere weak words and through the mighty work of the Holy Spirit transported you to see things that only the faithful women at the cross saw. 
You saw how Christ lived a perfect life, died a perfect death. The Holy Spirit raised a perfect Christ from the dead to be our righteousness. And he raised some of you too to be your righteousness as well. Now, did, your, did you people receive the Holy Spirit because you kept the Mosaic Law that I didn't even talk about? Or because you simply heard the gospel of Christ and simply believed it in your hearts? And now the devil himself has sent people in to distort that message and add some and to the message. That's what Paul's saying here. Are you so foolish? Are you so stupid? Are you so blind, dumb? Paul's wearing no gloves. He's letting them know this is what it is. In verse three, Paul launches into a twofold warning. You'll see it in your text there this morning. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? So there's two things there. So the second part, have you suffered so many things in vain? So Paul is kind of asking them. He's saying, listen, because of your faith in Christ for the past few years, and you live in a Roman world, and your ethnic heritage is Druidism, you have this strong cultural heritage, and you have this culture around you that hates the gospel, you have been living as a minority, as a Christian in that world. So some of you lost your jobs or your business because of your outspoken faith in Christ. Every one of you lost some sort of status somehow. And I dare say, it's the same thing for us today. Paul says, listen, you didn't hide this from anybody. You were outspoken in your faith that Christ himself died on the cruel cross, forgiving your sins, and he raised you from the dead in Christ and gave you all of his righteousness. That's it. That's the message. Drop the mic. That's what Paul's saying to them. Now, because of that gospel, you've suffered a lot. So Paul's warning them. Listen, did you, first of all, did you like think that you started with grace and now you need to perfect yourself? But then the second part there is like, have you done all this in vain these last few years? You've lost, you've suffered. Your families have lost. You have suffered. Some of your bodies have suffered for the gospel. And Paul is saying this so forcefully to them that he's saying, listen, now, now if you've lost your sufficiency in Christ and his salvation alone, then you've lost the gospel and you've lost everything. So he's saying to them, what a miserable path for you to have endured so many afflictions for nothing. Now folks, I want you to fast forward in your life. I want you to think 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years down the road. And I want you to ask yourself the question, will I have suffered so much for Christ to turn away from him now? 
I think we seriously have to think about those things sometime. To say, you know, we're going to be faithful in the gospel to the very end. And that end might be tomorrow for some of us, but it might be 50 years or 70 years for others. But Paul is saying, man, what a miserable path if you've been on that path and then it was all for nothing. People have come in and they've added to the gospel. So Paul's telling it like it is. There's no emojis. It's serious stuff. Now, don't you need people like that in your life too that love you enough that they'll take the gloves off sometime and just let you know how it is? I know I need that. But you know what? It doesn't stop there because Paul, like our heavenly father, he's not a pessimist. All right, look at that. He says, if indeed it was in vain, smiley face. He's saying, I have hope that I either got something wrong in all of this, or I have hope that you're going to listen to me and you're going to change your course of direction. But Paul doesn't put much more in there. He goes right back to the questions. Look at verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Galatians, how did you become a Christian? Galatians, how did God manifest his glory around you? Was it by keeping the law? Nah. This is how you were saved. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's it. So Paul is quoting the old ancient text there. He's going all the way back to Genesis. And he's telling the Galatians, listen, you tell those Judaizers that this is how all people everywhere have always been saved. Because long before there was a law of Moses, there was the love of God at work in people, lost people like Abram, who believed God and it was counted as righteousness. It was all that righteousness that Abraham needed before the Father. But do you believe that for yourself? It's all you need too. Who comes into your life and says, hmm, no, there has to be more to this than that. That's it? Believe? Uh, I don't think so. Who believes that you are not enough in Christ? Maybe that voice in your life is you. Do you really think that your giving saves you? Do you really think your meticulous study of the Bible or your study of anything is really what's going to save you in any given situation? Do you think like I did in high school that you know, working extra off the clock so I could really show my boss I was a hard worker, you know, going to church, helping little old ladies. I was in Luther League in high school, okay? Did I, did I think that was gonna save me? I did. Do you think the same way as well? Who are the Judaizers adding to the gospel in your life? How can you speak to those voices that might even be in your own head. Because it's the gospel alone, it's Christ alone that justifies us before the Father. It's only Christ and he's the only one. 
This is why the band U2 still sings, and I wrote down these lyrics so I wouldn't forget them up here. This is why U2 sings this. One man come in the name of love. One man who come and go. One man come he to justify. One man to overthrow. Overthrowing all the religions and systems of this world. It was only Christ. In the name of love, what more can be said in the name of love? That's it. Because there was only ever one person who was just and perfect and righteous, and it wasn't Moses, and it isn't you. You see this? So, it was Christ alone. That's why we need to worship him alone. So Paul is saying, hey, Galatian believers, publicly read this letter to the Judaizers who say you have to be circumcised or keep the dietary laws to really be made right and stay right with God. Tell them that long before Moses, people were saved by faith in Christ, in the Messiah that would come and save his people. How was Abraham saved? He simply believed the promise. How were the Ninevites saved way back in the book of Jonah? How are they saved? They simply believed the message that Jonah brought, and then they repented in sackcloth and ashes. And you know what? That made righteous Jonah, self-righteous Jonah maybe, it made him just a little mad, or at least a little sad. So for you and me, who are the people that we look around and we say, you know, hmm, they're in that other political party. Or, hmm, they're the ones that, uh, they go to that church? Or you look around and you say, man, look at what they wear at a church. Are they really justified before the Father? Are they being sanctified by his grace? Who are those people that you hear this and it makes you maybe a little mad or at least a little sad? How are you saved? They're saved the same way. It's through Christ alone. There's only one mediator between God and man, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we're all saved, always saved. That's why it's called eternal life. That's justification. That's capital S, salvation. But this passage doesn't only speak to capital S, salvation, justification, but also to the small letter S, salvation. It's sanctification as well. Are you so foolish? Look there in verse three. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh, trying to become perfect before God on your own human effort? Verse 10, Paul continues on. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Who can do them? No one but Christ alone. So we need to trust him as our mediator. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. You're going to rest in the law, even if it's your own law? 
of what you think is right and wrong, if you're going to do that, if you're going to look to that law, whether it's Moses' law or your own law, if you're going to look to those things as what like saves you and keeps you, then you better be like Christ and keep every jot and tittle and letter of that law, both your law and Moses' law. It's like Martin Luther said in his commentary. He said, what has the law ever done for you? Did the law ever love you? Did the law suffer in your place? Did the law ever give you its life for you? No way. But you see, Christ can because he's fully God and fully man. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that, Christ Je- so that through or in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. As much as we love the law of God in all of its perfectedness, especially the moral law, we say, hey, what can I do if I'm relying on that to save me? Because as much as we love the law and all of its beauty and holiness and perfectedness, it's powerless to save us. So who of us in Christ are looking to those kind of things to save us? Luther asks, can the fruit of righteousness, that is sanctification, can it grow on the dead stump of the law? Now, I took down a tree a couple years ago in my yard, okay? And I've been trying to figure out a way to get rid of it without paying those guys $500 to come do it. So what it's been doing the last couple years is just sitting there rotting, okay? I've tried putting the stuff in it, and I'm gonna burn it down is what I'm gonna do one day. Okay, but can really fruit on that ever grow again? That's why we chopped it down because this fruit kept dropping all over our sidewalk and stuff. But can fruit ever grow on that dead, rotting stump? It can't. So then why do I think, me, who's dead to Christ, that righteousness can somehow flourish in me by putting my trust in the law to do that? That anything I can or ever will do will merit my righteousness before God. So folks, we no more earn our righteousness after salvation with a capital S than we do before. I'm sorry, yeah. So there's no, basically we don't earn that after salvation, that's a small letter S, as we did before with that capital letter S. It's the same way with us in our daily standing before God, every moment, on every day, even our best day, our sin just kind of racks up more and more and more interest in our lives. You guys ever have credit card debt? You know, you make that minimum payment. Uh, it's, it used to be $25, I don't know. But you make that $25 a month payment, maybe you're doubling it, but that principle, it just won't go down. That's the way it is with our standing before God and our sin. Every moment of every day, even on that best day, we're just racking up more and more sin more and more interest payment. So you make that minimum payment religiously. Maybe you 
double or triple your payment. You go to church. You have some quiet time. Do your CBR. You, you serve here or there a little bit. You give a little. You try to do what's right. But folks, you can never pay down that kind of a debt. But then we come to Christ. He comes along. He pays off all of our debt. But he doesn't just pay off our debt. This is the other side, the positive side of our salvation. He gives us all of his righteousness as well. So somehow your debt is all paid off, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, he begins to work inside of us, making us to be righteous the way that Christ is righteous. Now, some years ago, I was preaching through one of Paul's epistles, it was either Philippians or Galatians, I can't really remember. But I got the sermon done. I like to get it done early in the week and get that load off my back and then go back and work on it. So I was going back and working on it. And at the time, I thought, you know, I'm a young preacher. I need to kind of just check and make sure that this is orthodox. So I went to the internet, of course, <laughs> to check my orthodoxy because I'd already looked at the commentaries and all that sort of stuff. So I thought, you know, I'll just go out there and see if it's orthodox out there. So I did, and I yahooed it. So that tells you how long ago it was. Google was on the scene. It just wasn't the big guy. So I, I go to Yahoo. I type in my sermon passage, and voila. There's my very sermon right there as well. It was almost my identical sermon. It had the same uh, points. It had the same uh, application. It even had some of the same illustrations. But there was only one problem. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. It was written by the Mormon church. I was shocked. I was literally mortified. Because if someone could write the same message to be preached or spoken in a Mormon church as I just did that week in my whole little book of whatever I was going through, if they could have that same message being given to their people, then my view of the gospel, of Paul, of the Bible, that something was really wrong. There was something really wrong. So why are you in Christ? Because the Holy Spirit worked in you. He brought you to himself. He loves you. But you see, that sermon that I wrote was Jesus and. It was the same sermon that the Mormons wrote. It was Jesus and. It was a sermon that the Roman Catholic Church was writing during the Reformation. Jesus and works. It's Jesus and tradition. It's Jesus and merit. But folks, you and I are saved and you're kept by Jesus alone by grace alone, through faith alone. Yeah, God changes us, but he does it by coming and living inside of us, okay? And he begins to change us from the inside out. Now, in years past, 
I've had um, a problem with like putting other people down behind their back. Even a couple years ago, this was a strong force in my life. But somehow, that, that's kind of left me. I find no joy in that anymore at work or in the church. It just, it does nothing for me anymore. So I don't even repeat things. There's no need to. Now, was it because I did something that that went away? Was it because I beat myself? I did. Was it because I hated myself for doing it? I did. But that's not what made it go away. It was God through the Holy Spirit changing my affections, changing my way of looking at things, changing what my love and my focus is on. And it's not about putting other people down. It was nothing that I did. Did I know that gossip was wrong? Of course I did. The law tells me that. But the gospel was powerless to save me as much as I beat myself up about it. You see this? This is it. So we're saved and we're kept by grace alone. The Mosaic law is perfect, it's good, it's glorious. Then what's the purpose of the law? Look at verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see, the law reveals God's will to us, especially the moral law, the Ten Commandments, but it's too weak to save or sanctify us. It can tell us what needs to be done, but it can't do anything to help us. Well, just know that Christ not only uh, saves us and sanctifies us, but he's also adopted us in Christ as well. And what that means is, is that he's made us sons. Okay, he's cried out to us. He puts his spirit in us that cries out to him and says, Abba, Father. This theme starts back in verse seven. Know then that it's those of faith that are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are faith are blessed along with Abram, Abraham, the man or the father of faith. So Paul is saying here, it's not flesh, it's not blood that makes you a son of Abraham. It's whether you have faith in the Messiah who saves his people. So Paul, he races to the end, and uh, so do I. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have all put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Look around you. There's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Those distinctions are put away regarding our righteousness. Now, we're all made sons of the Father. 
Now, why are we made sons? Why does it use that word sons? It's because shamefully, in that culture, daughters had no inheritance. There was no inheritance for them. But there was an inheritance for them in Christ. There was an inheritance for them in the church. So the true gospel, if you would, it lowers one person's status and raises up another so that we're equal heirs in Christ. Really, it goes back to Damien's sermon last week. Righteous failure. You see, some of us think we're righteous, but not ever, ever a failure. And there's others of us that think that we are a failure, but rarely ever righteous. But in Christ, we have equal standing as sons of God, as heirs of the promise, that we're all righteous failures. So will you go and live your life that way this week? Will you live like you believe the gospel with your coworkers, with your family at home? Will you, will you give them grace? Will you give grace to other people in the church? Will you give grace to those that are home with you? Understanding that they're saved the same way that you are. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. No ifs, no ands, and no buts. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We repent right now of trusting in our own righteousness. We ask that you'd have mercy on us. Lord, some of us here have been relying on religion to save us or to sanctify us. Lord, for your name's sake, for the righteousness imputed to us through your work, would you come, Holy Spirit, and grant us grace to cast down our idols, to break them apart as we rely on our self-righteousness? Would you help us to understand that when we do anything other than rest in Christ and his sufficiency, that we're idol worshipers? Lord, would you teach us that we need a Savior this week? as much as we have ever needed one before. And all God's people said,